I look forward to it when I get to invite someone on and have them share their story. Now, this next young lady I'm excited about because she has an interesting story. I, you know, have people that I want to bring on, mothers and daughters, mothers and sons and sisters and friends. But this young lady has twins and they're very young. They're four years old. And we're going to talk about her path to getting a diagnosis for her children and what it's been like. So we'd like to welcome Amaryllis Keller to the AWOL Zebra. Hey there, Amaryllis. How are you? Good. How are you? Outstanding. I'm so happy we finally were able to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to clarify real quick. The girls, they will be, they'll be four a week from tomorrow. Oh, wow. Okay. So four a week from tomorrow. And now they're fraternal twins, correct? Yes. All yes, right. they are. Okay. So we've got Dahlia and Ember and they are the most adorable. I got to see them on a video call, the most adorable little girls. And I have not had anyone on the program yet that has a child younger than 18 with this illness. Talk me through it. How in the world did you find out? Because you yourself haven't been diagnosed. How in the world did you discover that Dahlia is the one that has it, right? Yeah. Yes, she is. Please tell me, because I'm sure there are listeners out there that had I known, now that I know about this illness at 53, I can go back and say, okay, at 15, I understand what was going on with my body. And now I can look at my son and realize what he's going through. But how in the world did you come to this diagnosis at such a young age? Well, it actually started, funnily enough, um, with just an offhand comment by my husband's grandmother when she was just a couple months old. I want to say she was, I don't know, maybe, I don't want to say two months old, not quite that young, but definitely under six months, so maybe three or four months old. And my husband's grandma, she just made an offhand comment about, her thumbs being double jointed because she had noticed when Dahlia was like sucking her thumb or chewing on her thumb that she could basically bend it back at a 90 degree angle. And you could see the joint at the front where the thumb meets the palm, you know, basically just sticking out. And I can't remember exactly the process um, going from, Hey, her thumbs are double jointed to Holy shit. Her and, I'm sorry, can I swear oh, or not? No, it's the podcast. We have no rules. Do what you okay. want. <laughs> be be All yourself. Right. No, thank you. All right. But be yourself. Be yourself. Yeah, so we, you know, I can't remember exactly how we went from, you know, like I said, oh, her thumb, her thumbs are double jointed to, you know, holy shit, her entire body is double jointed. Um, I think I had mentioned it to, I think I had mentioned her thumbs to the pediatrician on our at our next um well child check but you know either way you know we had a um you know we had a diagnosis of hypermobility you know really young so they had noticed and with little kids you know a good um 
kind of an analogy that you always hear is babies are made of rubber. Right. <laughs> they're, you know, they're just, they're super bendy. They're super flexible. They have to be. I mean, I and so you sent me her head is almost like completely bent back. I mean, like all the way down more than an average baby's would be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, she can, and to this day, like, if I'm brushing her hair and I tell her to tilt her head back, she still, she just, she tilts it all the way back, which for her is, like, pretty much a 90 degree angle. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I always have to tell her, no, you know, not that far, because, you know, it's, it's just, it's one of those where, like, you would see it in, like, The Exorcist, and it just makes you squirm. Yeah, I get it, I get it. And so, um, because she also had, a, she had torticollis, which is a, uh, um, it's something that happens, I think, I think more often with twins, but, you know, it does happen with singletons too. Um, and that's basically where the muscles on one side of the neck are really tight. And so it makes it so their heads are always tilted to one side and oh. you know they can really only turn their heads right one way it's really difficult to turn their heads the other way and whatnot okay and so when she was four or five months old we started physical therapy for that and then the physical therapist was you know she noticed the hypermobility too and so it was like it was noticed by physical therapist and our pediatrician and then you know as she got older like one thing I noticed when she was you know again a few months old was she was always a really really floppy baby and it's like this is something I brought up to her pediatrician too and because like I had had a friend who at the time was dating someone with cerebral palsy and so I had learned a little bit about that and like how that affects like the muscles and whatnot. So I was like, I was looking at this and I was looking at her and just, you know, cause she just, she did not have the muscle strength that you would see with a baby her age. And, you know, to a degree there's, you know, you don't generally compare babies with each other because they all kind of have their own developmental curve, but Especially because, you know, my twins were my third and fourth children. It's like, you know, you kind of get a gauge for just kind of the general norm. Right. And so by this point, I could tell that, you know, she she definitely fell outside of the norm for most of this. And so I had brought this up to their pediatrician, too. And, you know, she, you know, like I said, some of it's blurry, but, you know, she did say, you know, she's not worried about that. But, you know, she did see what I meant because... You know, she was six months old and she could not sit up yet, which, you know, again, that's, you know, that can be fairly normal for a six month old baby to still be sitting assisted, which means they, to sit up, they need to be leaning against something. Right. But let me ask you a question. Because you were fortunate enough to really have a mirror image almost, even though they're not identical twins, and I know you're not supposed to compare yeah. babies, was Ember at a different stage during this time than Dahlia? Oh, drastically. Oh, okay. Absolutely drastically. Her, like, her growth motor skills, which is, you know, for, you know, other people, it's the large muscle group um, and how they function. That's called growth motor. 
And her gross motor skills were months developmentally ahead of Dahlia's. It wasn't, you know, just like, you know, Ember's sitting unassisted and Dahlia's sitting assisted. No, it was at six months old, Ember was sitting unassisted and Dahlia couldn't even sit assisted yet. If you put her in the high chair and, you know, leaned her back against, you know, the, the back of the high chair, you know, reclined it that little bit and leaned her back, you know, six-month-old babies generally, at least in that position, they are stable. They can kind of stay upright right. if they just have that little bit of support. She couldn't. She didn't have the muscle strength and she would just kind of slouch to one side, tilt, you know, just kind of fall to the side, tilt over. Like she couldn't even begin to manage to even stay upright. She just, the muscle strength wasn't there. It would, you know, for parents out there, it would be like trying to get your one or two month old to sit unassisted or to sit even assisted. It just didn't work. Wow. And so she had a lot of that. She had the hypotonia and that combined with um, that combined with the hypermobility, which was kind of hard to distinguish from each other at that point. It turned, it basically made for a very, very floppy baby who kind of her, kind of her body, she still seemed like a two month old at, you know, like five, six months old. And so she didn't sit, she didn't even sit up assisted until I want to say about seven and a half to eight months old and it was like eight and a half months old where she was finally sitting up unassisted and that's when she was able to start eating baby food because you know we had tried at six months old and ember did great she loved it but dahlia just she still had the tongue thrust reflex she couldn't you know even begin to sit up she couldn't stay upright and so she just was not ready. And the hilarious thing was that Ember, upon noticing that Dahlia could not eat baby food, Ember started refusing it. Oh, no. And it's just the connection that twins have with each other is, you know, truly mind-blowing. And I do know that, like, some people's like some twins just kind of they don't appear to have that i have a friend who has twins and she's always commented how she thinks her twins hate each other <laughs> oh. um they but i mean for the most part twins they just they have this and just eerie connection yeah. with each other what so what happened i mean so so with Ember refusing to eat, I, I can imagine, I mean, I'm a mother of one and everything was, you know, all new to me and I had nothing to compare it with. This is, you know, your third and fourth child that you're dealing with. I am sure this had to wreak havoc on your, your mental state. I mean, what, what did you do? It was... It was interesting, you know, I've been a stay-at-home mom since the twins were born, because when they were born, I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old. My two-year-old was about six weeks away from being three. 
So when they were born, you know, I had two newborns, a one-year-old and a two-year-old. Hmm. And so, you know, I was still like, and like I said, I knew, you know, by that point that, you know, kids develop, you know, differently. And I also knew that Ember was ahead of the curve with her motor skills. Like, she started walking at 10 months old, you know, and it took her a while to, like, really get the hang of it. But she took her first few steps like her first few like consecutive steps at 10 months old. And so by the time she turned one, she was running. And, but it was about the time that she started walking that Dahlia was just starting to figure out crawling. Because Dahlia did the whole army crawl thing for quite a while she didn't like really get the hang of like crawling on hands and knees until she was almost one because she just didn't have the core strength for it you know her her back and her belly they just kind of bowed towards the floor and she couldn't really sustain it so she army crawled for a long time and it was like she moved her arms and she used she moved one leg and I would have to look at a video to remember which leg it was, but she just, she one of her legs, she just kind of dragged behind her. It was the funniest thing. So it was, you know, I was, I was worried to a degree because, like, I could tell there was just something off, you know? It's like, it's just kind of that instinct to a degree, as well as, like I said, just experience. It's like, there's something off here. There's something, there's something different. And so, you know, just these things just kind of coming together um, resulted in her pediatrician referring us to a pediatric geneticist um, at the children's hospital here in town. Because I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and it's a decently good-sized place. You know, it's not, you know, you compare it to, like, bigger cities, and it's nothing. Right. But, you know, it's decent size, and, you know, we've got a We've got the Sanford Children's Hospital here, and people come from quite a ways away to come here to to go there with their kids. And we're lucky enough to have it right here in town. So, you know, it's a good resource. And so when she was, oh, goodness, I want to say about one and a half or so, we took her to see the geneticist for the first time. And that was... I was happy about that because, you know, he examined her and then, you know, for kind of a reference point, he examined Ember too, because that's one way that we were lucky enough to be able to have her noticed and diagnosed was just the fact that, like, we had, because it's specifically the hypermobility that's really, really hard to pin down with a young child. And a lot of doctors, they they really hedge on that, you know, well, at this age, it's so hard to tell. It's so hard to notice what's hypermobility and what's just normal for, you know, this child at this age and what, you know, they're going to grow out of. And so with that, I was able to kind of have Ember there and say, you know, this one is, you know, quote unquote normal. So, and they would look at her and they'd notice that, you know, oh, wow, you know, Dahlia is, you know, not just a little bit more mobile than Ember. No, she is significantly 
more mobile than Ember. Like, it's noticeable. You know, it's not just this, oh, you know, they're just a little bit different. No, it was, like, one of those, like, yeah, no, there's there's an abnormal. There's an abnormality here. And so it was really validating for me to hear the geneticists say that there was definitely something going on because, you know what I mean? I've kind of caught hell for this, you know, saying that I was glad that she was diagnosed because, you know, I think people interpret that as me being glad that she has this. And that's not the case. It's getting that diagnosis. It is incredibly validating. You know, having somebody notice it's incredibly validating. Um, and it, it helped a lot because I didn't feel alone anymore. I didn't feel like I was just coming up with this or what are, or whatever else it was. I had a medical professional backing me up. Right. And so he ordered blood tests and urine tests, which, you know, on on a one-year-old child is interesting (laughs) and it was uh because of her hypermobility and whatnot she was like it required more staff to kind of hold her down than normal to get blood to draw the blood because she could just bend and try to squirm out of their grip in all these really really bizarre ways so it took more people and more hands to you know safely hold her in place so she didn't hurt herself but you know they sent the blood tests and they did the genetic panel for you know basically all connective tissue disorders they did a whole connective tissue panel because they were looking for um Marfan's, a couple other, um, a couple other connective tissue disorders, and you know all of the Ehlers-Danlos types. Right, right. I, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm there. Like in my Cynthia Grab, I'm, I'm sure they went through everything, probably MS, all of that stuff, probably trying to find out. And what I find interesting is that you were able to get to some place at such a young age for your daughter, but also uh, one day we'll, we'll have to do an episode discussing you and your history about this, but just from chatting with you before this interview, you're not diagnosed with this. There you're now that you're looking back at it, there's a chance that it's probably coming from you, but having no, inclusion with heads with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome the fact that you were able to get to this I find extremely fascinating it's not like you were in all of these groups because you were dealing with these illnesses I mean this was just something that that you had to really literally discover on your own right yeah yeah it, it really was and I think there was a lot of luck that went into it in that you know, we had great medical professionals who, you know, they listen and they, you know, they understand, like, they actually listened to me and they, they were open to possibilities. 
And like I said, just having them not be my first children and also her having a twin that I could just kind of validate and say, you know, this is severely off of where her developmentally on track twin is. And um, it part of it was just basically luck the way it came together. And, you know, another part of it was just my noticing, you know, like I said, just something is off here. Like, I don't know exactly what it is, but something is, like I said, it was just off. And so it was just kind of following up on that. And for a while, you know, there was a lot of worry, you know, like, just not knowing what it was and like the severity of it, you know, what it could be like, because she also, um, before the genetic testing, we were almost leaning a little bit more towards Marfan's because she also has a chest wall defect called pectus carinatum where, I've got that. um, um, basically the breastbone pokes out a little bit it um to you know some degree or another so her does breastbone her, does ember have that or it's just dahlia just dahlia okay. and so what you and pectus carinatum that one's actually the rarer of oh i'm sorry I the other one the sun two. this is the one that sticks out yeah yes oh. yeah because people are familiar with pectus excavatum yeah. where the breastbone is sunken in where it's concave right but carinatum is where it's more convex and so you know the pectus um things those are something more often seen with marfans and so you know with marfans it usually affects you know the blood vessel and the walls of the arteries and all of that so that was really worrying that she might have that and so when the genetic testing came back and it showed that she did not have Marfan's, that was a relief. One second. Sure. All right. Love you Sorry, that was my husband going to work. That's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Um, but yeah. So the genetic testing came back and it came back with two... Oh, goodness. They're variations of uncertain significance or something like that. I can't remember the exact word, but, you know, basically it's, there's a change there, but it hasn't been, like, I guess, defined yet. Um, you know, one was in, uh, oh, goodness, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a gene that, you know, also affects, you know, like the like the major arteries and the heart and whatnot. So she actually very recently had an echo done and that came back normal, thankfully. But the primary one that we focused on was an uncertain change in the TNXB gene, which is um, thought to be responsible for classical-like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so that, and because it was an uncertain one, you know, we couldn't just, you know, say, you know, yep, this is, you know, we're diagnosing her with this. And the geneticist 
But yeah, it definitely it really pointed hard towards Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so that was, you know, again, that was that was actually a relief. So because, you know, one, we had a word for it. We had something we could actually focus on. And two, right. it wasn't one of the really, really severe ones. Right. You know, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, like it's debilitating for a lot of people. Yes. But you compare it to, like I said, like things like Marfan's where it can where it affects, you know, the arteries and it can cause like aortic aneurysms and aortic dissection and all of that. And it's, it's kind of, at least as a parent with a very young child, it was the preferable option, shall we say. It's like, you know, I completely understand. And, and it would not be wrong to say, I'm sure that it was a relief to find, I mean, you don't want her to have anything but it's a relief to know that it's something that you can manage because that's been my focus that because I learned at 51, I can now help my son at, you know, when he was 14, when it was diagnosed. And I felt like if I had known even younger that I could have prevented a lot of things from happening. Now that you are on top of it, there are so many things that you can do to help her. Like, like you said, when you're brushing her hair, you can teach her now not to bend back. I mean, think about how many people that have this illness that, you know, I was 11 years old, put my legs behind my head. If I had known that this was a problem, I wouldn't have caused so many issues for me later down the road. You are setting yourself up to be able to help your daughter live with this illness more manageably and more successfully so I, I that's what I think anyway yeah and you know the one thing that I really want to drive home because it gets misunderstood a lot is you know I'm not sitting here saying I'm glad she has this I'm glad she has something it's I am glad that you know we were listened to that you know yeah. people paid attention to it that they tested her for it that I'm glad that we got the words for it because it doesn't just appear because you got the diagnosis. No, it's, you know, she already had this. She already had something. So it's not like I'm sitting here saying, you know, I'm glad that, you know, she has this, that she was diagnosed with this because, you know, that means she has this. No, it's she already had this. There was already something up. It, you know, so us having the words, having the diagnosis, it doesn't change the fact that it's something that she has. It just means that we can get the support and the resources and the medical care that she needs. And so I think that gets misunderstood a lot. And so I just, I really want to drive that home that, you know, we're not happy that she has this. It's like, you know, she already has something. It's, you know, visibly there is something up. And so it's like, you, you know, you give me, you know, like those major connective tissue disorder disorders, you know, or like Marfan's or, you know, like vascular EDS, for example. And I know there's a bunch of other connective tissue disorders I don't know much about them um but it's like you know of the ones I know of you know it's like if you gave me the list and put a gun to my head and said pick one I would have probably picked it with Tomlos right no like I said just you know the the other major contenders it's just there can be you know there can be worse and so just the fact she's already got this she's already got something it's not a matter of, you know, oh, I, 
I want her to have this, so I'm going to, you know, whatever. It's, I, I don't know. It's like she does have this. She does have something. And so I'm glad that we have the words for it. Right. No, I don't think anybody. And if anybody's listening did misinterpret and 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 thinks that you're happy that your daughter has this is widely mistaken. I didn't get that for one minute at all. I understand exactly what you're saying. It is the lesser of the evils. It is definitely exactly you know, that you don't want her to have, but she has something and you knew that. And, and honestly, it's, I, I understand. I understand the relief. So it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm just so happy that you've got a diagnosis and, and got set on a path so early because I think that's going to be the, the most helpful thing for Dahlia. For one, she has a mom that's proactive that, you know, didn't just sit back and accept that, well, this is, you know, just one child being a little bit more ahead of the other. You were proactive. You took, you know, action earlier rather than just waiting and you're in these groups you're with it, it it bothers me that's why i want the podcast to help raise awareness because when the doctor says there's nothing else i can do for you join facebook support groups because that's where you're going to get your answers i want that to stop i i want people to be able to go to their doctor and get answers and, and get a list of things that is supposed to help them or to help make this illness easier to live with and especially i mean you ha you're having you have four children you have your own health is issues that you have to deal with what all differently has to be done for dahlia that that maybe individuals that have children that they haven't maybe gotten a diagnosis for yet what are some things that you're doing other than just saying you know don't tilt your head back this far what are some things that you've been told to do or have you figured out to do to maybe help give her a head start on dealing with this as she gets older? The big thing that's been emphasized from the beginning is don't let her do the quote unquote party tricks. And I think a lot of people with hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome probably understand that. Oh, yeah. The bending the joints in freaky ways and all of this, it's like, don't let her do that because just because it doesn't hurt her now doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, not cause damage as she gets older. And it's like, as she gets older, if she's doing this shit all the time, it's like, she's going to pay for it. Yeah. And so that's been a big one since she was really little and kind of teaching her not to do that is, it's interesting, it's hard. Because, you know, it's like, and they were a little bit developmentally delayed, especially in speech. So, like, their receptive speech was pretty far behind. So getting them, you know, particularly her to kind of understand all this could definitely be difficult. And to a degree, it still is because she just, she doesn't really have a grasp on what isn't normal and what is. And the one thing, excuse me, being diagnosed so young and being in physical therapy so young is these professionals can kind of teach her what the normal range of motion is and what's acceptable and what she kind of needs to stay within. 
and what she should avoid doing. Like the big thing that we're trying to conquer right now is the W sitting. And I know for some people, they think it really isn't a big deal. And like for some, you know, like normal kids, you know, there's speculation that like, you know, quote unquote normal. What are you talking um, about? You know, what do you mean W sitting? Um, It's where, um, you know, like you sit and with the knees kind of out in front and then the calves and the feet are outward um and like the feet are like like the knees are ahead of you and your heels are kind of by your hips okay um and that's a super super common sitting position for little kids it's a lot of little kids do it i did it a lot and you know, in the past, there's been, you know, a lot of people, you know, they say it's like, don't let your kids, you know, sit in that position because it can be bad for the hips and bad for the knees. And I know recently I've seen seen some things where they say, you know, for, you know, maybe it's not as bad as they thought, but for, you know, and that's, I think that's up for debate with, like I said, you know, quote unquote, normal kids, but like with a kid with Ehlers-Danlos, it's like, it's easier, but it also is a lot more likely to cause that damage. Okay. And and stress the joints. Okay. And so, like, I've got issues with my knees nowadays. And I sat like that all the time when I was a kid. It's like, if I want to, I still could. But it's extremely uncomfortable. You know, I'm going to be 30 next year. And it's, uh, it's not fun. You know, it's like my hips are, like, one of two sets of joints that are, like, noticeably hypermobile. For me and you know I haven't been diagnosed you know I look back and like I've been told that I was extremely flexible as a little kid and it's like I've just got a couple of joints that are a little hypermobile so I've been told I might have this but I just it's hard to say right but with Dahlia a big thing we're doing right now is fix your legs you know and telling her you know you know fix your legs whenever she's sitting in that position and then she used to not want to we used to have to like physically move like one leg and then she would just kind of match the other one but now it's like now she's learning what that means and she um she gets physical therapy in preschool and that's one big thing they worked on with her last year in preschool was you know not sitting like that and so they they did teach her to you know sit you know sit right fix your legs And so now when you tell her that, she'll move her legs. And we finally got her to sit cross-legged now. Uh, Because she used to just... You mean like crisscross applesauce? Yeah. Okay. No. Oh, oh, definitely good. Because I'm telling you, I, um, I just started doing postural restoration therapy. And I have been told, do not cross your legs. Like I was always raised, the lady crosses her legs. But I've been told that that's one of the easiest ways to get your pelvis out of proper position, Mm -hmm. crossing your legs. And I've also been told, and this is probably a little bit too much for Dahlia at this moment, but just for you, um, when you're sitting, you're supposed to because your diaphragm is weaker on your left side than your right side, uh, because the right side is interesting. Yeah, your your right side diaphragm is being held up by your liver your Uh left side diaphragm is being pushed down by your heart so because of that 
that's like I have problems with my breathing. So I'm learning how to try to breathe in to the diaphragm instead of chest breathing. So when I'm sitting, I technically kind of have to have my left knee a little bit behind the right. Like when I'm driving and Mm -hmm. when I'm sitting, I need to try to focus on putting my left side more at work because that's something that happens over time. And that's something that happened to me. And so I was just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just, a, that's a lot for an almost four-year-old, but just for you, since you're already working on her sitting, just to give you that little tidbit that the left side, for, you know, for us, it, it tends to be the weaker side and people don't realize that. And I kind of found that interesting since you were talking about sitting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just got yeah. that out there. But so what, so, okay. So you're, you're, you're working with her on the sitting. How is she as far as eating? Oh my God. One of the, uh, one of the things that we put on the genetic panel. Oh God. What's the name of it? It's, it's some genetic disorder and it does come with, you know, like, um, like cognitive disability and other stuff, but it's basically where the body gives no signals that the child is full, and so they just eat anything in sight constantly. And Dahlia, this child, it's not quite as she's not quite as bad with it anymore now that you know she sits, she feeds herself and whatnot, and it's like eventually she just she kind of gets bored, and I think she's also kind of learned when to stop like in terms of seeing her siblings but when she was a baby and you know she was like especially as a one-year-old she would just eat endlessly we didn't feed her until she was full we fed her until her twin was full and we cut her off oh wow because she never stopped eating. And it's like, I don't have, like, um, like, a confirmation of this. But, like, I've wondered if that might be due to, like, some, um, like, connective tissue with, you know, the stomach. And, like, maybe just stretching and instead of you know like stretching more or stretching easier and not you know kind of because you know the stomach can stretch you know it does and that's what happens when you overeat but I've kind of speculated that you know maybe she was eating so much and just never got full because she you know like maybe her stomach was just stretching super easy or something like that like I said that's just my own speculation but yeah we we kind of had to teach her and she, you know, she did, I think just kind of learn naturally, but like to this day, you know, it's like, if she's, you know, if she's, you know, sitting there like watching Paw Patrol or something and we ordered pizza, like this child will sit there and it's like, cause we, you know, we have four kids. We always order a large at least, you know, so we automatically order a large for the kids because they will put it away. Right. (laughs) Definitely. But it's like this child, you know, and keep in mind, like she's always been small for her age. And it's like, you know, now they're starting to catch up. But like, even as a one-year-old, 
like if you let her it's like she would sit there and she would pack away half a large pizza all on her own you know we didn't let her but it was clearly it was possible and ember was kind of like this too but you know ember she she did get full after a point it it took her a lot longer to get full than it you know than it you know kind of should have but she did get full at some point and dolly just didn't but it's like to this day like you if she's you know preoccupied sitting there watching paw patrol and we've got pizza like she will easily eat three pieces and still want more so she's just it's just a... it's nuts <laughs> there's just a little bottomless pit but yeah you know but no that but that that's interesting i you know i i didn't i i never would have thought about that i mean i i know that um i i i, I wonder if that is a, a sign of something i do i do know that that was kind of you know something for me when i was growing up comments were always made about my eating about the fact that i would eat more than the average person uh mm-hmm. and then, you know i i wouldn't necessarily necessarily stop when i was full i just stopped because it was gone <laughs> yeah so yeah that's definitely been dahlia gotcha so i mean I, i'm trying to think what so the fact i it just it's it's just amazing that you've got four children and then you know, I don't know if this is your last set of children or what, but yes. Okay. I actually, <laughs> I was going to say I had, I had one more. He'll be two in October. Um, But my older sister adopted him. And so that, that was a whole thing that worked out absolutely flawlessly because yeah, we couldn't, you know, we just, we didn't have the resources to raise another child and they wanted to adopt again. So it worked out flawlessly. Um, but yeah, after my youngest was born, um, I actually, a year ago last month, I had a hysterectomy. Okay. So I'm very definitively done. <laughs> but it's like, part of the reason that we knew we couldn't raise the youngest baby was just because, you know, at that point we knew that Dahlia, you know, Dahlia was like, we were just in that phase where it's like we were, we had just seen the geneticist for the first time. And so, you know, we knew that she had some kind of medical condition, some kind of medical situation, but we didn't know, you know, what it looked like, what you know, like expenses and care and all of that might look like for her. And so we didn't want to bring another baby into the family when we didn't know how much of our time and resources were going to be taken up with Dahlia. And so that that was a major factor in being done because, you know, I think I could have been happy with another one, but just like, like I said, just we knew that she would have medical needs to some degree and so like for us particularly you know i'm not saying this for everybody i want to make that super clear that you know everybody you know they have their own choices with you know children you know what you can do is what you can do but for us personally with our like with where we were we felt that it would be irresponsible to bring another child into the family when we had one with you know unknown medical needs right and so um 
but yeah, and like, I guess I just wanted to continue a little bit um, what I was saying earlier, if that's okay. Yeah, please. Yeah, and so like, like I was saying, you know, the big thing is like, like I said, like the party tricks, like, you know, don't do that and like working on her sitting. But one thing that um, just kind of came up more, I would say, within the last year or so is something that a lot of people deal with, with Ehlers-Danlos, chronic pain, chronic joint pain. And about a year ago or so, we kind of, like, I kind of started to suspect that this is something she might be dealing with. Because, you know, it's like, especially like a year ago, you know, they hadn't been in preschool yet. So their vocabulary was super limited. They they really didn't talk much. And so it was a lot going off just her body language and like her behavior, her moods. But, you know, she had some days where it's like, you know, kids can have bad days, too. That's one thing that a friend told me when I had my oldest is, you know, babies can have bad days, just like adults can. Little kids can have bad days. And but it's like it didn't quite feel the same sometimes. Like she was in a mood and it's just and I kind of and, you know, I had joined all these support groups and chronic pain. It was talked about so much that I got to thinking and it's like. I wonder if, you know, she's, you know, just, you know, I don't want to say, you know, like, just, like, minimalizing it, but, you know, I wonder if she's just, you know, in pain, and so I decided to just kind of go with this theory, and there was, you know, one day when she was just, she was really off like that, she was, you know, she was short-tempered, she cried really easily, she was, you know, clingier than normal, and I dug out the children's Tylenol and I gave her some and within an hour I had a totally different child. Really? Yeah. And it was it was like her mood just changed and you know, she was happier and she, you know, she was getting up and she was playing and she wasn't crying as easily anymore. She wasn't, you know, clingy and moody. And so that's when we realized that, you know, yeah, this is something that, you know, we think she's dealing with, dealing with. And that's something that I kind of learned to spot those mood changes. Okay. And when she started showing those mood changes, I would give her, you know, Tylenol. And, you know, that would pretty much always just kind of snap her out of it. And I know that, you know, like, painkiller that isn't really something that works well for most adults with eds but you know with her age and you know like not developing like a tolerance or whatever it it still works really well for her which i'm grateful for yes definitely and the thing that got me after a while was you know especially when you know they went started going to preschool they started talking a little more and we um It's like, I would ask her, you know, like, you know, like kids, you know, you, you kind of, you know, bring the language down a little bit. So, you know, we would ask her like, you know, trying to get her to say if she was in pain, you know, like, do you have owies? And, you know, we would kind of point, you know, or kind of touch like her major joints, like the shoulders, the knees, you know, the elbows. But she would always say no, even though like her body language and then her response to getting the painkillers would say very much. Yes, she's in pain, but she wasn't registering what she was feeling as pain. And so that, you know, again, I don't really have confirmation 
for this. This is just my own speculation as her mother and having observed her, you know, since she was born, that possibly she didn't interpret this as pain. She didn't classify it as pain right. in the same way because perhaps it was something that she was used to dealing with, that she was just adjusted to feeling. And, you know, though she didn't, like, know it, you know, or, like, you know, she didn't like it, you know, it was, you know, discomfort, that maybe it was something that she just thought was normal, right. you know, so to speak. And so that, that was hard for me to think about because the implication of that would be that even as a baby, she was just having like chronic pain days. And that's hard to think about as a parent. Definitely. Yo, know, and now, you know, on the cusp of four, just within the last few months, she has started being able to answer like whether she hurts and you know now it's you know do you need medicine and then she'll say yes or no and then you know there are times where she will get the bottle and she'll bring it to me and so it's like now we're to a point where she's learning this and she's learning that you know hey this is pain this can be fixed okay so to speak and so that's definitely progress but you know another big part was just learning that and being aware that, you know, yes, it's like she may be very, very young, but she is experiencing chronic pain, you know. And like I said, this was about a year ago or so when we started noticing this. So this was like just prior to turning two. My goodness. I mean, that breaks my heart, but that's incredible that, you know, you've been so intuitive and been able to help her through this. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the, the sitting, helping her not do party tricks. I mean, yeah. Getting to the pain. I, I can't, um, it breaks my heart to think of her being in pain and you not knowing. I know that has to. Oh, yeah. That's like thinking of her like being a little baby and, you know, potentially feeling that. It, it does like it, it bothers me. But yeah, there's really nothing you can do about it. No. I, I think you've been exemplary. I mean, I think it's incredible that you've, that you've gotten this far with her at such a young age. Uh, what are your next, you know, what are your next steps? What are the, the, what is the next thing for Dahlia? I mean, is it just now, are there any more testing? I mean, what do you see happening in the next year? Um, a lot of it is management. Um, she's in physical therapy and occupational therapy at school. Um, because, yeah, something that was brought up by a physical therapist when she was a baby was that the hypermobility in her fingers, um, you know, I said a lot of people with hypermobility, they have um, the way they grasp things can be different and like can potentially cause damage to you know again the joints and the fingers and like especially like how they hold and you know like hold writing utensils and stuff like that like you know sometimes they need help with that and so that's a reason you know she's in occupational therapy to you know just kind of make sure that she's learning this properly and she's really lucky her her fine motor control which is you know like the hands, the fingers, the smaller muscle group, that's called the fine motor. 
And so, like, her fine motor control, like, her fingers is extraordinary, actually. It's really fascinating to see. So she does well with, you know, like, with her grasping and stuff like that, which is, yeah, we're really glad to see. But, you know, it is something, like, we keep an eye on, and they work with her in the physical therapy. They work with her. And a big thing has been, you know, one thing we know is that there's, a number of sports that she's not going to you know more than likely not going to be able to do like her twin ember like she that child needs to be in gymnastics that child is giving me gray hair she is <laughs> she is the most obnoxiously strong reckless wild child it is uh, because you know she was baby b which you know for twins you know baby a is the one that's kind of closer to the cervix you know in pregnancy and baby b is farther away and then like sometimes that can change if baby b comes out first then you know in the hospital after birth they become baby a but for them you know in pregnancy dahlia was baby a and ember was baby b and it stayed that way so ember is baby b so she was born 16 minutes after dahlia and so she's, you know, because my youngest was adopted, Ember is technically the youngest. And so I always look at her and I always say, you're the youngest for a reason. <laughs> you're, you're the youngest for a reason. My goodness. But, you know, like Ember, you know, she's probably going to end up in gymnastics. And that's something that Dahlia most definitely will not be able to do. Right. And, you know, like stuff like ballet that's another thing you know like like especially like the ankle joints and stuff like you know the ankle joints the toes the feet all of that it's like that's something she's not going to be able to do you know like the high impact sports you know like basketball track stuff like that it's like this is all stuff that you know if she were to join these things as a child and as a teenager it would probably cause extraordinary joint damage right and so but that is luck, even though that's probably going to be hard for her to accept, you know, as a child, as a teenager, because, you know, but it's something that we're aware of so that we can kind of try to minimalize the damage that happens to her joints in childhood that, you know, like people who aren't diagnosed until adulthood really aren't like aware of that right. can cause these problems or you know like I've read a lot of posts about like teenagers like they're in say gym class and um you know it's like they're gym teachers they are just they're not understanding and they're just they're really just kind of flat out cruel and they don't listen to them and they refuse to listen to these children's like their limits and them saying oh like I'm in pain I can't do this this hurts I'm physically not capable of this and they just blow it off you know they tell them they're being lazy or you know this that and the other and oh you know the the big one it's like oh you could do great if you just applied yourself and all of that bullshit yeah um but that's something where you know we already have this diagnosis and so we can already have this and like have this like from the doctor that hey you know there is you know xyz things like she cannot do this so when she goes into kindergarten and into elementary school we're going to be able to go to you know like the gym teachers and be like she cannot do this 
you know, you cannot make her do this, this, you know, we're probably going to work on getting like a 504 plan or something like that. Because she's in preschool, she's on an IEP because she does preschool. They both do preschool through the school district. And so they're both on IEPs for the speech and Dahlia with, you know, the occupational therapy and the physical therapy. But yeah, that's something that we will be able to do and place limits on when she's in school. And that's something we're really lucky about and you know we that also means that if we get you know like a gym teacher or someone like that that's a complete dick you know (laughs) we can go to them and we can you know we can we will have every right to raise hell right and she will have every right to you know on her own if she needs to stand up for herself and refuse and say no and you know not you know hopefully not get in trouble with it you know like you know I mean I'm sure that if you've got a gym teacher that's not listening to, you know, what's being stated for the limits, you know, they're going to get mad at her for stating her boundaries. But I mean, you know, going higher up to like the principal and all of that, you know, like, you know, oh, go to the office, you know, whatever. It's like, you can, she can say, it's like, no, it's, it's, you know, everybody knows I can't do this and they want to make me. And I said, no, because I will hurt myself. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm glad we will have, you know, like, be able to place some limits on. Another thing that I've noticed she deals with is fatigue. She gets tired, you know, more easily. Like, you know, they're just transitioning out of, you know, the twins, they're just transitioning out of taking naps. Um, You know, it's like Ember, you know, she's been ready to be done with naps for a while now. And, you know, it's like, you know, it'll be nighttime, you know, it'll be bedtime. And she's still just bouncing off the walls. But it's like, you get to bedtime, you know, without... Sorry. Um, You know, you get to bedtime, you know, and she hasn't had a nap. And you can tell she's tired. And it's like, she still has days where, like, she will just fall asleep because she's just exhausted you know it's like I have fibromyalgia so I'm very familiar with fatigue so sometimes you all say you know we'll just kind of lay down and snuggle up together you know if my husband's home watching the other you know and able to you know watch and you know have control of the other three in as much as you can have control of these little The, the twins have earned the nickname the little demons and they have earned that <laughs> Partic- particularly amber i hear you the little but, you know it's like um, sometimes you know dahlia and i we can just kind of curl up and you know just rest together have a nap together you know she'll come in she'll lay down with me and sometimes y'all you know, just say it's like oh we're just we're both having a fatigue day right well and i th- so I think it's wonderful. I think you've got a great grasp on it. We've got to wrap things up, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time and sharing your story about Dahlia and Ember and, and you, and would you come back and keep us updated? Yeah. Um, I see that kind of timer going. I wanted to say real quick, she got her diagnosis at the children's hospital of Colorado in um Denver Aurora Colorado and because they have an Ehlers Danlos clinic over there with specialists who specifically focus on this and so that is where she got her diagnosis this past May at three and a half years old 
Wow. I, I think that's great. And I want to include that. If you'll send that to me, I would love for you to do it. It's going to cut us off. Amaryllis Keller, I want to thank you for coming on AWOL Zebra. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. We'll catch up with Amaryllis Keller. Christy Lynn Hanchi, AWOL Zebra. Have a lovely day.